This is from Psalm chapter 147 and it's verse 4. He, being God, counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. God counts the number of the stars and He calls them all by name. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. That verse is such a powerful verse and I really am amazed at um, when I think of this verse and I, and I get curious, you know, how many stars there might be, how many different names he has to come up with. And uh, I did some research that I thought maybe you might be wondering too. But before I do that, I want to tell you in this verse where it says he calls the stars by name and he counts them, the word for calls there is the. I'm not real good at pronunciation of Hebrew, but it's Q-A-R-A, and it's pronounced Chara. It's the best way I can pronounce that word, Chara. And it's a word that means naming as an act of sovereignty. In other words, when you name something, you have sovereignty over that which is being named. So when you name a pet, you're saying to the pet that you're its master. You have sovereignty. You have Chara'd the pet's name. You've given it to them. And it's the name they are then uh, with for the rest of their lives. In um, a lot of different ways that you want to see that, you'll see in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, that God is telling Adam to have dominion in the Garden of Eden. And He says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed. God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would chara, or call them. And whatever Adam chara called them is what uh, each living creature, that was its name. So Adam, by God giving Adam sovereignty, by giving him the privilege and honor of naming the animals, and God said that will be its name. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Adam has not yet had Eve. That happens in a couple verses down in that chapter. But God has told Adam that you will have dominion over the earth. And you will name things and that will show that you have sovereignty because you've given it its name. God says, I've called you Adam, but you, Adam, have called everything else by now. Your job then is to be sovereign. Don't lose this verse. God said to Adam, be sovereign in the earth. In other words, take dominion, rule over it, care for it, nurture it, be the owner of it and its proper master in a good way. And God recognized when Adam gave those names, God recognized Adam's choice and said, you have selected it and that's what it will be. God recognized Adam's sovereignty. This is before the fall, before anything ever messed up. That this is how God had set it up to work. Put Adam in a garden in the midst of this earth and brought everything to you. So you name it, that's what it'll be. That shows to you and to them that you have dominion over them. Pretty neat setup, right? Now, I'm going to come back to that later. 
But I wanted to get you to understand that God had a purpose for giving Adam sovereignty in earth. Mm-hmm. And this, I believe, for Adam was his proving ground to see how faithful and loyal he would be to the Father. Mm-hmm. We find out a little later that he can be swayed in his loyalties. <coughs> unfortunately. So when we um, look at what God is telling Adam, it's key because God is showing Adam what He wants to do, but also Jesus Christ is called by Paul the new Adam, the second Adam. Mm -hmm. And by inference, we also are second Adams because we're one in Christ and with Christ. So that means what was true for the first Adam which failed is also true for the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ, which, by the way, succeeded. He kept loyal even to death. Amen. So Christ Jesus filled that. Now, God didn't give Adam the job of numbering and naming all the stars. Adam was only responsible for that which was on the earth, not the heavens. God said, I take care of the heavens. You take care of the earth. I take care of the heavens. That's the way it's supposed to be. I will count the stars. I will name them. And so, when God began to name the stars and number them and count them, He had a big job. If you don't know how many stars are in the Milky Way galaxy or presumed, which is the galaxy we happen to be spinning around in, there are 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, at least. There is estimated, because they can't know for sure how many galaxies there are, because there are so many, that there are 10 trillion galaxies as big or bigger than ours. If you figure out that each of those probably have the same amount of stars, just roughly guessing that, and you do all the multiplication and math, the number is a one with 24 zeros after it. You go, oh yeah, I know what that number is. Most people don't, so I'll tell you it's a one septillion. We, we don't count that high. You couldn't start counting the day you were born and keep counting and get to that high. You wouldn't even be able to get to 10 trillion, let alone uh, one septillion. And you say, well, that's a big number. It's hard to fathom. Yes, it's really hard to fathom that. What's really even harder to fathom is that God knows them by name. All the stars. I can't, I can't think that big. So I decided to break it down a little smaller for you. I thought it would be easier if you knew that there are 8 billion people on planet Earth. And that's a lot of people, you know. And it's still getting bigger, but we're using rough figures here. So I thought, you know, you might want to know these numbers. If you had your share of one eight billionth of those one septillion stars, about how many stars you would be in, in control of. And by the way, if you were to start counting them and naming them from the day you were born, you wouldn't get done until you were about a thousand. Or older. Why? Because your number of stars divvied out equally among 8 billion people would be 
12,250,000,000,000 stars that you could count and name yourself. Um, I, I have trouble counting and fathoming what that even looks like, so I, I tried to make it easier. Hopefully this will help. Your head or the average, not necessarily here, some have more, some have less, but the average human head has 300,000 hairs. If you multiply that 300,000 by the number of people on earth, this is fun, um, you would get that there are two quadrillion, four trillion hairs on your head of all the people on earth. Uh, that's not even close to the number of stars. But if you had one equal portion of stars for each hair on your head, maybe that would work. So each hair of your head, if you had 300,000 hairs on your head, had its equal share of all the hairs ahead on the earth, how much one hair of your head would be over in stars? And here's the number. 408,666,667 stars per hair. Now do you understand how many stars there are? That's a lot of stars. And this per hair of head on everybody on earth alive right now. That many stars per hair. I can't figure that. But God knows them and He knows them by name. He has an intimate relationship with them. He put them there. And you wonder, when you think about God, maybe the God you think of is a little smaller than what He really is. <laughs> because we can't fathom those numbers. We can't even count them. There are not enough words on all the languages of the earth to give each star a name. And yet God has done that. And a number. <laughs> that, that fascinates me. And maybe you're going, okay, that's really cool science, Brasser. What's that got to do with anything that really matters here? Well, let me share with you a little more Scripture. Psalm 19, chapter 19, verse 1 says this, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, or the skies, the atmosphere show His handiwork and creativity. And now, now listen to that. The heavens declare His glory. All the heavens we're talking about are all the stars. These big numbers declare God's glory. It takes that many stars to tell how glorious God is. God's immense beauty and fathom, unfathomable nature can be captured by that large of a number that we can't even think of. We can't rationalize that. You couldn't spend a billion dollars a day and spend uh, the amount of stars you've got in your lifetime. Spending a billion dollars a day. I don't know about you, but that, that, I can't figure out what a billion dollars a day would look like spending. That's our government. I'm sure they figured it out. But they they have big numbers like that. They're so big they're, they don't make sense to us. But the heavens, all these stars, all of it, the sky, the creation. The scripture even says that God orchestrated. And he's, he's talking to Job when he says this. He says, "I made the rains to fall and water the ground. Do you know where those rains come from, or where they go, or how the clouds get their moisture, or who puts the father of the rain in place, and who is the father of the rain?" And he's talking about the ecosystem that we have and how much God's glory is seen in this. All of this stuff, all these stars, all the, our earth and all of the systems in it, 
that God put in place work together harmoniously perfect. And if you're going to ask me why I'm telling you that, it's because a lot of people still question whether or not God did this. What else could put that much in place perfectly that big? Nothing else could. Nothing could just randomly put it there in perfect sync that we could be here in this life and time in that kind of odds. I guarantee you that I have no idea what those odds are. (laughs) But they're a lot smaller than the big numbers I've been throwing out there. It didn't happen by chance. God knew what He was doing. And here's the good news. In 2 Timothy, he says in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, that if we died with Jesus, we shall also live with Him. And if we endure, we shall also reign with Him. But if we deny Him, He will also deny us. Now think about that for a moment. If we believe in Jesus Christ and endure to the end, we say that God Himself said that we will reign with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think that that idea has as much impact as the number of stars until I tell you in Corinthians, which is not a verse I put up here, is it says that all of heavens and earth and everything belongs to Jesus Christ. And He rules over all of it. Over all the heavens. Now if He's ruling over all those stars and we reign with Him, what's that tell you? Doesn't, doesn't it sound like he's saying that we're going to have some responsibility for Futurium stars? He's going to need some help. <laughs> you know, I'm going to need some help because I'm not God. I don't think I can count on even in eternity. But could you imagine that we're going to be intimately connected with the universe that Jesus Christ is over and reigning? I can't even imagine that. I'm lucky enough to keep my life going forward, let alone that unchaotic. I'm happy enough when a day goes by and there's not another crisis. <laughs> Maybe y'all don't get that very often, but I'm happy when life slows down enough where I can catch a breath. But it doesn't just say that in Second Timothy in Revelations chapter 20. It also says this, Blessed and holy is He who has part in the first resurrection. It's a resurrection from the dead. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be what? Priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. And that thousand year reign of Christ they talk about, we're going to be doing a lot of work. A thousand years. We'll probably be counting our stars. (laughs) Naming them all. Or renaming them. Or learning our section of the universe. I don't know what we're going to be doing. Honestly, but we're going to be doing it with Jesus and with one another and all who believe in Jesus Christ. And we've got a big place to take care of. It's huge. I can't even tell you um, what that looks like. But I can tell you this, that it's promised by a God who's never failed. Not on one. And He won't fail on this promise either. In chapter 
2 of 1 Peter, he's talking about us as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people. Hear those qualifications? A chosen generation, that royal priesthood, and a holy nation, that royal priesthood there, uh, the word royal doesn't mean prince there. It means king. Not only are you going to reign with Jesus Christ as priest and co-ruler, but you will be a king. Queen. Now, you say, okay, that sounds good, but what does a king rule over? A king does not rule over a whole earth. He rules over sections, doesn't he? Like the king of England or the queen of England or Spain or whatever um, ruling authority that they're over, whatever nation, they have an area. So if you are a king with Jesus Christ, a queen with Jesus Christ, that means you have a section that you're going to rule over as a royal or a kingly priesthood. Chosen generation means that God has said of us, the ones who believe in Jesus Christ, of this generation, He doesn't mean like the generation of which Jesus was alive in, but the generation of those who believe in Jesus Christ through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's conviction. That's the generation. There are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. Okay? You don't, don't please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying your grandchildren aren't going. I'm saying God has no grandchildren. They all are first generation believers. You can't pass it on to your kids and say, okay, they're coming because I did. They have to believe in Jesus for themselves. And so, this generation is all who will believe in Jesus Christ through the Word and the Gospel message and the Holy Spirit conviction through the blood of Christ. That is who we are. We are a kingly priesthood, which means priesthood also means that we are in service as priests. And priest's job is to praise to petition and to perform sacrifices. And the sacrifices in this case would be the sacrifice of praise. So we are a holy nation. We're called to be a... Don't miss this, okay? This is great. It says you are a nation. You are a nation. You are a nation. Not you as in we. You as in each individually are a nation. And each one of us will be a part of the chosen generation. Each of us will be a king or queen. And all of us, each one will be a nation. But we're going to need help. You have to be a king over something. And you're God's special people. The King James says peculiar people. What this word peculiar and special means is selected, purchased, and owned. God has chosen and selected you and bought you. From a price. Not bought you from yourself, but bought you from a life of sin and destruction. Into this relationship. That, and here's the priesthood part, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Mm -hmm. Now isn't that an awesome promise? You were once not a people, which is what I was talking about a second ago, how we were bought from not being a people, but now are people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now we have. Mercy is the generation we're under. 
God's mercy and grace. Ushered in at Calvary through the blood of Jesus Christ and still relevant today. Promised to us in Christ. That's good news, isn't it? It's kind of overwhelming to think of all that, but I like thinking about it. As a matter of fact, God made these promises a long time ago to Abraham. He went back in Genesis, and you'll look at his story in Genesis chapter 13. You may have heard that his descendants would be like the stars in the skies. Here's another figurative for you. He says, I will make, this is to Abraham God saying this, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So if you could count the number of dust particles, then you would know how many descendants could also be numbered. In other words, you're going to have more people than you can count. That's a lot of people. Because if you start counting people one at a time, at birth, they say the number you can get up to is about 2 billion. At birth, you keep counting. I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend my days and nights counting until I die to see if I can get that high. It's not, it's not that important to me. And what if I miss a number, you know? But what I'm trying to say is, God is telling Abraham, you won't be able to count them all. He's not saying there's going to be one septillion <laughs> descendants. He's saying that there will be uncountable by you. And that's what he's saying here. But, but that's what he's saying. So if you can count the dust, then you'll be able to count them all. But I don't know about you, but if I had to count the dust particles hanging in the air, by you know, you can shine the sunlight in or a bright light through any room, you can see all those particles floating in the air. If I could count all those in just my house, I'd have more than I could count. And I'm not saying we have... This isn't a clean house. I'm not talking about a dirty house. I'm talking about in a clean house. I saw that look. (laughs) She was going, he just said we have a messy house. No, we have a clean house, but dust still exists. It comes every day, new dust shows up. And this isn't about dust. It's about unable to count the dust. But also, he says to us, uh, Abraham, if you're wondering about the stars in the sky, he says that in chapter 15, verse 5. He says, Abraham, look at, look at heaven. And count the stars if you can. He said to him, so shall your descendants be. Unbelievable. You cannot count them all. And why is this important? Because God said to Abraham before this, I will make you a nation. It's the same thing that He says to each one of us. I will make you a nation. And a king. That means you're going to have people that you will be in charge of. Rule and reign over. With Jesus Christ. Now's where it gets fun. In Revelations chapter 2, God begins to talk about us. He says, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna to eat. I'll give him a white stone and on a stone a new name. Written which no one knows except him who receives it. In other words, God's writing your name on a stone. It's your new name. It's your identity as king over what you're over. He's writing it down and saying, here's your kingdom, here's your name, 
This is your royalty. Nobody knows it yet, because otherwise the enemy would try to steal it away. And God has reserved this for this moment when the enemy can't take it away. So He's given a new name. We even sing that song, there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Yes, it's mine. We sing that song, but in Isaiah it also says the same thing. In case you're wondering where that came from, it says the Gentiles are going to see your righteousness and all of the kings, your glory. You see, all the kings will have equal glory in in reign with Christ. And you shall be called by a new name which God will name for you. This is what this is talking about in Isaiah. It's that you will have a new name. You have a new name in Christ Jesus. And you might say, but I'm kind of attached to this name. Well, you will have had this one for the lifetime on earth, but that one will be a whole lot longer. And it's your exact character by name. Now, I don't know how to explain this to you real well, but the names that God gives share the character of the name of that person. Like when Adam, I'm sorry, Abraham named his son Isaac, Isaac's name is Laughter. That's what it means. And why would he name his son Laughter? Because his wife laughed when she heard that he was in his birth at 90 years old. Um, this would be kind of like God saying to John, John, you're going to have a son in a year. And you're going to have a birth in a year. And someone would laugh. Well, you could see why. But every time he called Isaac, he'd say, Isaac, he would say, laughter. Laughter come. So it would be like calling your son, haha, or laughter, or fun. But the Greek, excuse me, the Hebrew word for laughter is Isaac. And Isaac means the word we would call someone if their name was laughter. We don't have any people I know of named laughter, but Isaac is a case in point. So what I'm trying to say is it showed his character by what came from how he came to be. But Isaac's new name will depict Isaac's character in the kingdom of God. It won't be laughter in hope. It will be a kingly name. Not a name that his mother didn't believe in him. Could have been a source of shame for him, but God's going to give you a name of honor, recognition, and glory. And I'm so thankful for that. I really am. Sometimes I have to go outside and look at the stars and see God's beauty. And whenever I start to question faith a little bit, that's all it takes is to realize, wow, I can't reach them and I didn't put them there and you didn't put them there, yet they're there. And they've been there. And they've been there for a lot longer than I have. And they'll be here a lot longer than I when I leave this earth. They'll be there. So something put them there and it loved them because they were beautiful. And so Job, God is talking to Job who's trying to figure out, you know, God. And God says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? This is Job 38, 4 forward. And he says, Tell me, if you have understanding. Now, the foundations of the earth that he's talking about there are are the plans and the building of the groundwork of this earth. When you make a home, 
You, you dig footers and you put a foundation on footers. So God is asking Job, where were you when I put the footers and foundation down for the earth? And he said, who determined the measurements of the earth? Surely you know, Job, if you're going to question God, answer me in this. Who stretched the line, which is a plumb line, to make sure it was level? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not real good at leveling stuff, even with a level or a plumb line. i got some in my backyard now that have all gotten tangled around where I'm trying to level out some dirt. So I'm not real good at it. But God says, where were you when I stretched that level line out for earth? Did you see it? My, my thought isn't, uh, no, I wasn't there. My, my thought was, where did he get that long of a string? <laughs> stretched it out. It's a line. He stretched it. He took his hands and nobody else was there to hold the other end. So God stretched his hands out, held this end and this end in a vacuum and said, let this be the line and held it there. Again, he could do other stuff at the same time. Because he's got more than two hands. Matter of fact, in this church, he's got about 35 hands in here, sets of hands that he uses. And so he says, and what were the foundations fastened to? What did I... you got to have a footer. you got to have something to bedrock it. What, how do you do that? It's hanging in the middle of space. How do you put foundations in... Can you figure this out? If you're a contractor and you can understand this stuff, you're doing better than me. I'm just giving you some very large numbers. And who laid its very first stone? The cornerstone. And this verse. My favorite verse in Job. It says, The day the stars all sang together in the morning, and all the sons of God shouted for joy at the creation of earth. They were celebrating all the stars. One septillion stars singing for joy at Earth's making. Can you imagine the choir? I can't imagine that. But they all sang. And all the sons of God shouted for joy in that moment. And what about the universe and all the shouting for joy to God and praising Him for what He has done to make this earth for us? And he did it so that Adam could try and be sovereign <laughs> and learn to rule properly. Oh, what a day that would be. The day the stars sang. He says, do you know the ordinances of the heavens? <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't even imagine how much space this universe has, but God's going to kind of stretch that line too. I told it how big it could be. He uses words and terms we don't have any clue what they are. And then he put their rule over the night sky and the earth. God did that. Can you imagine? This is what God was doing when He called the stars by name. And He said, I'm putting this one here, this one here, this one here. For an infinity, it seems like, number of times. And made them all balance perfectly in our universe. I could get maybe six or seven balls juggling at the same time, but to have more stars than you can count, all spinning, rotating in the right ways, so that nothing was out of proportion to something else. We can't 
fathom that. There is no way possible. Our mind just can't. And yet, God doesn't just deal with big numbers. He deals with little numbers. In Luke, He makes it personal. Jesus is saying, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one, not one is forgotten before God. But the very hairs in your head are all numbered. Mm-hmm. They have numbers. Do not fear, therefore, you're of more value than many sparrows. Now, I'm going to give you some math here in a minute, but I first of all want you to remember this. Five sparrows, two coins. Can you get that? Mm-hmm. Five sparrows, two coins. Listen to the math in Matthew. This is a spiritual math. This is really cool. In, in Matthew, he's telling the same thing in chapter 10, verse 28, 29. Sorry, 29 and 30. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for one coin? Five for two, two for one. So if it's two for one, shouldn't it be four for two? Right? You would double it, right? But here's what happened. If you were willing to pay two coins for four sparrows, they'd throw another sparrow in for free. That's how invaluable a sparrow was in the marketplace. Now, let me do this math for you because, I'm, I'm, like I said, i got numbers for you. Two sparrows were two penny coins, which was one-sixteenth of a denarius. A denarius was a day's wages. So an eight-hour day, you get a denarius. One-sixteenth of the denarius is 30, would be one-sixteenth of a day's pay. So 30 minutes of work for five sparrows. You get that? 30 minutes of work for five sparrows. If you use the half-hour of work comprehensive right now, that means five sparrows in today's minimum wage would be $3.63 for five sparrows. Now the two sparrows being one penny are going to be half the price of five sparrows because they're charging the four sparrow price. So that's one penny coin. It's one thirty-second of a denarius or 15 minutes of work or a dollar eighty-one. You can do the math later. One sparrow. Half a penny coin back then was one sixty-fourth of a denarius. It was six minutes of work to get one sparrow. It was 73 cents in today's dollars. It was 15 cents in the dollars of the 1990s. In that day and time, it was less than eight-tenths of a penny of today's money. Adjusted for inflation, that value is 73 cents today. Throw your extra one in. No big deal. You bought four, I'll give you five. And God says, no one of them. Falls to the ground apart from your father. A 73 cent sparrow. God's worried about. He's with it. And then he says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And you're worth more. Many sparrows. 
You understand the God of all the stars knows the hairs on your head and He's also concerned with the sparrow. In King James it says that not one of them falls without the Father. That He's in the process of the breaking and the falling and the sparrow cheatery. He's with that sparrow. And you're worth much more than that. That He's with you in every moment. And yet, at the same time, He's aware of how everything else is moving in the universe, but He has the ability to take care of you too. This is the kind of God we serve. This is the kind of God that we worship. A sparrow was considered an expendable commodity by the trade brokers in the temple and in the marketplace, but God says there is nothing expendable. I've made it all and it's good. And you may treat it as unsovereign and unworthy, but I value it enough to be with a sparrow. And if you ever question your worth before me, know that I've got stars reserved for you with your name on them. And I'm going to love you and bless you with all that I have to give you. I'm calling you. I have sovereignty over you. And I'm giving you sovereignty because I love you. I value you. And in my Son, Jesus Christ, you've entered into a relationship where you no longer are who you were. You don't know your new name. Otherwise, you try to start acting that way and you don't know how to do that yet. Adam came to this earth and God put him here and gave him dominion. And here's what Jesus said in a passage in our Gospels. He said to one man, you've been faithful in a little. Well done, servant. In other words, I've had sovereignty over you. Now I'm going to give you much. Listen to this. God said, Adam, take care of this earth. If you get this right, I will give you more. He blew it. (laughs) He didn't get the more. Scripture says that Adam couldn't do it. But in conjunction with Jesus, the new Adam, we all get a part in the creation. We all are rulers and priests with Christ as kings and queens over a dominion and people will see that and recognize that we are holy, that we are a nation unto God and unto ourselves. Each one of us. The entrance into that is a relationship with Jesus Christ through Calvary by the saving grace of the blood of Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit indwelling, causing you to live out the Gospel here on earth while God sees if you're ready for more. This is our proving ground. God's got names and numbers of stars ready to give you. I'm imagining, and I, I, I don't know how God couldn't have named a star after each one of you. And I imagine He might have even named it Diane's star. And He might have come up with another one. The star of Diane. And your new name. Star one starts here in the new kingdom. Charlie's new star. Charlie's second star. You know, whatever God's got, I'm sure your name's on some of them. Why? Because people need to know that it's yours as king and queen in the kingdom. And God set it up that if you would receive what He has done for you, 
and receive the name that He has given you, the new name written in glory, that you would rule and reign with Him forever. That's called being surrendered to the will of God. Now, I don't know about you, but all of a sudden, I don't care about numbers. All I care about is that God loves me. All I care about is that He knows me. And that He values me. And if He can watch a sparrow and be with it in the process of falling, He can be with it when I have a broken heart. He can be with me when I'm questioning the reality of His existence. Because He's certainly not questioning the reality of mine. And God doesn't question whether or not you are real or valuable. God says in Jesus Christ, there's no distinction. We all are one. Purpose, rule, and reign. Working together for the kingdom of God. We have no idea. Our eyes can't see. Our thoughts and imaginations cannot understand. It says no eye has seen, no thoughts have ever imagined what God's going to do for His people. He can do more than you could ever think or imagine. And yet while we're spinning on this planet Earth, we break it down to one day at a time, and maybe there's a hereafter, and maybe there's hope, and maybe God cares. <coughs> when God's giving you signs all around you, and He's very good at what He does. In Romans it says very clearly that nature showed the glory of God to even people who don't know who God is. That they have no excuse. They can look at nature and say, there's something that did this, it wasn't me. And whoever it was, that's who I worship. That's who I live for. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You got your corner of the universe picked out by God. I, I got to tell you this. This is great. I love this. And this is not one of the closest kind of humors. But we sing a lot about a mansion over the hilltop. Um, you're thinking a little too small. Whoever wrote the song. Your mansion may only fit in one corner of one little planet or one little star, but you've got a whole bunch more. You're going to have to have a little bit more in the mansion. You're going to have to have some help. You're going to have to have house guests and ruler house and all this other stuff. What I'm trying to tell you is we think about God and we think small terms. Why? Because we don't know what God has in store for us. And so we take it on faith that what God's going to give us is kind of like what's here on earth. But this is just an example of what's in heaven.